God with that blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, if you will, turn with me to your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, which is our theme verse for the prayer vigil, uh, which is called, uh, Isaiah 1, 18. Uh, but let us uh, first look at the word cloud. Uh, you're in a Bible-believing church. Whenever you're here at New Covenant, I always don't, I never want anyone to be confused. Uh, we're not, uh, right now, we're currently non-affiliated, but we are connected with the Reformed community. Uh, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and that is why it's, it's found in this, the Scriptures proclaim the Gospel, and that's the words of eternal life, and that changes everything else as we just saw in Luther's life, and it should be in yours and my life. Now, our text today, as being a Bible-believing church, I want to open up the Scripture. We're in a topical message, but our beginning text is Isaiah 1.18, and as I look at Isaiah 1.18, let's reverently attend to the public reading of these Scripture texts that are for us. Uh, Isaiah 1 verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. The emphasis of that theme verse is come now, let's reason together. And I emphasize this as who are you supposed to reason together with? Is this like getting the whole populace of our country together? Come together! No, this is saying, come into God's presence. Because if you look here, come now, let us reason together. That's you and me, says the Lord. And he says, let's talk about it. And this is our call to prayer. If you go to Exodus 18, I want to be able to highlight some of the emphasis on prayer that we'll see in our, in our reading today. Jethro, which is Moses' father-in-law, he said to Moses, or he said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. This is the older generation looking at the next generation and look at how he prays. If you go now to Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 and then we'll be in chapter 5 verse 9. In Revelation 4 he says, Worthy are you, O Lord and God. Worthy to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The emphasis there is on the echoing of the worthy are you. And that comes in chapter 5, verse 9, and the response of the people. And they sang a new song. This is chapter 5, verse 9 of Revelation. Worthy are you, Lord. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal. For you were slain, and your blood, and your blood, you, with your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and nation and people. And then going back to our text from Jude chapter 1, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. And I want to do one more verse from Romans 8, which you may not have, but think about it. Romans 8, verses 26 to 28, because this follows up with the Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, take the words of the text and help us to understand the mind of God. I pray that through this message that we might be equipped to come into your presence more boldly, more often, and may we be able to ask more correctly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Today's passage is about prayer. Uh, we're in a series of prayer. If you take the, uh, the bulletin card, and I encourage you to take one home with you, you can see where we're going. You can see the different texts that are before you. And uh, you can also be reminded when the Reformation service is, when the prayer vigil is, and when the collection week is. Uh, all of those things are printed there. And for those of you that would like to understand our worship service, it's on the back as well. You can see it's coming to God, encountering God, and responding to God. That's the basic, basic essence of what uh, meeting with God looks like. In our service today, though, uh, the prayer is our theme, and I wanted to be able to, to, to tackle that together. The first thing I want to be, be able to talk about is what is prayer? All of you think you know what prayer is. I hope that you think that you know what prayer is. I, think, I hope all of you are, pray, are prayer partners, are prayer warriors. I pray that this is not a strange topic for you. This ought not to be something, oh, my great-granny used to pray. No, I'd like you all to be able to know what praying is from your own experience. And I would prefer that it would be more than just the last time you prayed was when you took a math test. Prayer is, as the Catechism says, back in 1645, they came together, the Westminster Divines, the preachers there in England, came to Parliament at the Westminster Abbey, you know, where Charles is going to be crowned if he hasn't already been, and all of that pageantry. Well, there's a room off to the side in the Abbey, and they would meet there for several summers. When they came together, they wrestled through and said, well, what is prayer? And they summarized it by this, prayer is an offering up of our desires to God, for things agreeable to his will, in the name of Christ, with thankful acknowledgement of his mercies and with confession of sin. There were these elements that were a part of prayer. And these pastors wrestled through to try to make sure that they got it right. Because they don't want people to be confused. What is prayer? Well, today I want to uh, apply that. We're doing a series, a four-part series on prayer leading up to the prayer vigil in November. We'd like all of you to come, and I'd like you to come not as rookies, but as experienced people. All of you, whether you're five years old or, or 85 years old, you should have some experience in talking with God in prayer because prayer is simply a conversation with God. Prayer is talking to Him. Now, a lot of us... Don't really put it down into that because most of the time the only thing we focus on is not who is listening to our prayer but what our prayer content is. When you look at the page even on the bulletin and we look at the, prayer, uh, the prayers for this week, what do you find there? Do you find a lot of things about God on that page? Where we see, uh, I'm looking at the list now, we can see some about Jerry, about Michelle, about Bob, about Allison. Um, we can go down about Eric, we can see for Matt. Uh, oh, we can see a mission trip. Um, that God's word will be delivered and received. Oh, right. Most of our prayers that we initiate are requests. And I'll talk about that. That is absolutely appropriate. But one thing that's almost missing from most of our prayers is what we're tackling today. And that is the aspect of talking to God about God. Talking to God about God. And by way of summary, I just want to highlight it this way. I believe that prayer has these four parts. We say the A-C-T-S. The adoration, the confession, the thanksgiving, and the supplication. Now, that's just the, what they call the ACTS model. And it's what we have on the prayer cards to remind you that you can pray with prayers of adoration, prayers of confession, prayers of thanksgiving, and prayers of supplication. Excellent for you to pray, be praying all of them. Today I'm focusing on the prayers of adoration. 
And so the way that I'm helping you to, to digest this is to phrase it in this conversation with God. It's like talking to God and having a conversation with him. And what, is you, what are you talking to God about? So the three things that we ought to talk to God about are we ought to talk to God about God. We ought to talk to God about us, about our souls, about our own heart and our heart's condition. And we ought to talk about God about this world in which we live in. And most of the time, it's a broken world that we're describing. We're describing pain and sorrow. We're, pain. we're describing disease. We're just describing broken relationships. We're describing things that are yuck. And when we talk to God about those things, we ask God to do something about it. When we talk to God about our, our souls, which we'll get into next week, we're often asking him to forgive us. But how many of you actually talk to God about God? This is what I wanted to focus on. I believe that this is what it means to pray in the spirit. As Jude was telling us that when he watched what was going on in the early church and he said it was more needful for me to write to you about this issue than about the common salvation. He said, you guys are getting sucked into the deceit. Certain people have crept in unawares and you're not even figuring it out. And so after he warns them and after he challenges them to don't fall into the trap, don't step into the quicksand and sink and don't follow the wrong shepherds that lead you astray, he says you need to be built up in the holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. I always, as I'm emphasizing Sunday school this morning, the praying in the Holy Spirit follows the being built in the, in the, in the truth. I believe that when you are into the Bible, into the studying of the holy faith is delivered by the saints as God himself brought it down and explained the gospel. When you know these facts and these truths and these words and the instructions of scripture, then you end up responding in prayer. You talk to God about those things that you've heard, the things that you've listened to. Today I want to highlight the, the, the benefits, three benefits to talking to God about God in prayer. Uh, three biblical benefits. Uh, and, and this is what I believe the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8 does. Since we don't know how we ought to pray, since, we don't, since it doesn't naturally happen for us, we need help. You know, it was really cute. While I was uh, visiting my two kids down in Lynchburg on Friday, um, I got a video from my other son who was showing for me for the first time my little granddaughter coming down the steps. Now, she wasn't rolling down, bang, 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 bang. Uh, she was walking down the steps, and she's just over a year old. Now, how do you think she was walking down the steps? She was holding on to daddy's finger and had a hand on the wall. And that big giant step that's about the length of her leg, she went down a step. It's kind of like, can you imagine when the step is the whole length of your leg? What kind of faith you must have? And then another one. <laughs> anyway, it was so cute to watch her walking and to make these giant steps. She needed help. We often need help. And the Holy Spirit, when we pray in the Spirit, in concert with the Spirit, the Spirit is going to show us how we, to, how we are to pray. And I'm here as a pastor to equip you to be able to pray. And one of the benefits that you'll get when you talk to God about God is you confirm His identity. You confirm His identity. Now that sounds pretty uh, cool to talk about identity in the 21st century. How do you identify? What pronouns do you use? I mean, my goodness, that's what they're trying to teach in the school system, even in Sussex County. I want to make sure that you get God right. There is no confusion about God. When you talk to God about God, you're going to have to get God right. 
Because when you're talking to him and you're, it's a made-up God, or you're talking about things that you've imagined, or things that you've heard from somebody else that may not be true about God, like the gossip, if you are talking to God about things that, are, that don't make sense, you're not going to get his audience. You're not going to get his smile. You're not going to get his affirmation. The Bible says that we are to talk to God about God because we confirm his identity. And, and if you go to how Jesus taught the disciples to pray, it's from Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, the disciples were with Jesus and they didn't quite get it all. They didn't quite understand everything. And so uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, right before he uh, gets about fasting and all, he explains it. So I have it in front of me in Matthew chapter 6 with the Lord's Prayer. And he is saying in verse 5, and when you pray, he says, don't fake it. Don't be like the hypocrites. Now, that's the previous verses. But when he finally says in verse 9, pray like this. Do you see the difference? This is how religious people pray. This is how the, pub the public people pray. But you pray like this. Now, let's look at, at the prayer that Jesus taught and see if we can see the identity of the person that we're praying to. Okay, the, the text of Scripture there in verse 9, he says, Our Father. Does that tell us about who we're praying to? Yeah, it does. The, the next words. Who art in heaven. Does that tell us about who we're praying to? It does. How about the next phrase? Hallowed be your name. Does that tell us who we're praying to? It does. It tells us about God's character. I know I'm being a little redundant, but I'm trying to drive this nail in, especially since Luther did it so well on, uh, you know, 500 and some odd years ago. Then in verse 10, he goes on and say, your kingdom come. Does that tell us about who we're praying to? Absolutely. Your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Does that tell us who we're praying to? Absolutely. This confirms the identity that we, are, that we need to know. When we are praying, we are not praying to the genie in the bottle. It's not like you can just rub the little bottle and out comes the genie, like in Aladdin. You know, and, he'll, and that genie will give you three wishes. They're all powerful, but they have an itty-bitty living space. I mean, we all know those things from Disney. But what do we know about God? And yet we're supposed to pray to him. See if you can finish this verse. Pray without... We're supposed to be talking to him in prayer all the time. And yet most of the time we really don't know who we're talking to. How do you address your prayers? Dear Mr. God. Dear big guy. Dear boss. What are you, what are you communicating when you're reaching out to God? Jesus said, when you're going to pray to him... Pray to the Father. Wow, this is revolutionary. What the, the term Father, I know it's not good in this culture anymore since the Supreme Court overruled some things about basic family units. But the Father figure is a role that God established from the very beginning. In Genesis 2, 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother. This whole role of having a dad in your life, having an authority in your life, an intimate one who cares for you. The picture is always seen even with, with a daughter, uh, with, with a guy wanting to get married to a daughter. And uh, the guy is going to go and he's going to ask for permission to marry the daughter. Who does he ask permission from? 
You're his neighbor, right? No, if you understand this whole illustration, the symbolism is that there is a dad who's responsible and he's supposed to take care and only when he releases that responsibility and then the responsibility is heavy on that dude to take care of that girl. Good thing it's a shared responsibility. He needs help because that's what God said about Adam at the beginning. He needed a help meet to be able to do things. The identity of a father is something that Jesus started off with. And when you go through scripture, man, I can't, I can't stress it even more. What a privilege we have that when we address our prayers, we go to the father. Now, James explains it. Why do we go to the father and why don't we go to Jesus? Some of you like to pray to Jesus and some of you, even, you might like to pray to the Holy Spirit. If you came to me and said, is it wrong for me to pray to Jesus? Is it wrong for me to pray to the Holy Spirit? You're going to absolutely get an answer from me that's easy. No, it's not wrong. We believe in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If you pray to God, you're going to be praying to either the Father, the Son, or the Spirit. Now, Jesus taught us to pray to the Father. And that's why I would encourage you to go to the Father. But the only way you can get to the Father is through Christ. There's no other way to the Father except through me, John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So your prayers can't get there without Jesus in the first place. And if you want to pray to the Holy Spirit, there's no problem in praying in concert with the Spirit because the Spirit never focuses on himself. The Spirit will always take your prayer and take it to where it needs to go, to the Father. The Holy Spirit, he doesn't seek the glory. The Holy Spirit has groanings and utterances. He'll take our struggling and our misunderstandings and sometimes our yuckiness and he'll turn it around to take it to the Father. Because as James put it, there's, our Father above is the only one that every good and perfect gift from, comes from him. From the Father of lights, from the Lord of love. Now that's the first point there about confirming his identity. If you get it right, then whenever you pray to God and you talk to God about God, use the names, use the titles that you understand. Now, secondly, I want to highlight that, that, that when we talk to God about God, we affirm his ability. We affirm his ability. So it's not just his identity that we know who we're praying to and not just one of our own imagination, but we are understanding what God, we're praying to the Father. Well, why not pray to your earthly father? There's a bunch of people in Eastern culture that pray to their ancestors. If you watched the, uh, the, the, the Top Gun movie that we showed here for the men like Mordecai, we had an interesting prayer that was being uttered by uh, Maverick and even by, uh, um, by the other boy. And they would say, talk to me, Goose. Talk to me, Dad. Talk to me, Goose. Talk to me, Dad. Now, Goose was this call sign for the one guy who died. But in, in, instead of Maverick praying to God, he was, he was asking to talk to his buddy who died. I wanted to reach in the screen and give him one of those V8 slaps. Wake up, man. Goose is not going to help you. I had a little bit more appreciation for the boy who was wishing that his dad was there to give him some guidance, like a father figure. But oh, how wonderful it would have been if he would have been able to talk to his heavenly father. When we affirm God's ability, let me take you to Exodus 18 again and highlight some of, those, some of those scriptures. In Exodus 18, we have Jethro from the older generation and he speaks, bless the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptian and out of the hand of Pharaoh. Now this is a dad who is a father-in-law who is looking at his boy, Moses, and Moses is quite the character. He had greatest training in school. He had better degrees than any from Harvard or Yale or from any place. 
Moses was a sharp character, and he's down there with Moses, and, and he says, Moses, you don't get the credit. Bless the Lord. God. If you look there, it's a sovereign term. Uh, it is the worthy one. And so bless the Lord. And then he describes all the activities that this Lord has done. He's delivered you from the Egyptians. He's been able to conquer Pharaoh, who, who thought himself to be an earthly god. And he has delivered God's people from, from the bondage of Egypt. Two million people came out of that land. Now, how many of you think you could have arranged that, or that kind of deal? Do you think you could have brokered a Middle East peace that would get two million people free? And what's the deal? You have to pay them $600 billion? No. God arranged it that Pharaoh said, get out! <laughs> it's really interesting how God negotiated. But, but when you realize that when we're praying to the God who can deliver you out of the bondage of Egypt, we're praying to a God who can handle a pharaoh who's pretty arrogant and thinks he knows everything. And he could have given you a mandate for this or a mandate for this. And guess what you would have been inclined to do? Obey. But there were some people who didn't obey pharaoh's mandate. Moses' mom and dad. They refused. And so they didn't kill the babies like they were told to do. They didn't abort them. And they said, no, we're, we believe we're pro-life. And so they worked out that little Moses comes to the scene. And little Moses is the one that when he's big, his dad says, know the God who can deliver you. That's who you're going to talk to. Now, if I take you to Revelation, you're going to find in chapter 4 and verse 5, you have these responses of the, of, of, uh, the people of God. Worthy are you, worthy is the Lord to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And, and, and the whole point here is, when you start to realize, who are we talking to? We're talking about a God who's reachable as Father. But we're talking about the one who made everything in the space of six days and all very good. We're talking about the one who not only made it, but sustains it. In the catechism, we always say it's creation and providence. He made it all, and he holds it together. You can read that in Colossians, by the word of his power. Now, when we're going to approach God, we now know that he is a father figure. He is the one that we're supposed to come to as children. Then we also affirm his ability. He can do all his holy will. None can hold his hand back. None can even question him, why do you do what you do? That's what Nebuchadnezzar realized in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. And the people in Revelation, they just respond the way they're supposed to. God, there's nobody like you. Nobody like you. Worthy are you. You've taken the scroll and opened the seals. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed the people of God. He's talking about a salvation that's provided for by God. The one who is the author and finisher of this faith. It's so amazing when you realize it. And that's why in Psalm 115 and in 121 you have the same kind of response. You have, oh God, you're so great told you there's three, three benefits. You know who you're talking to, the identity. Secondly, you know his ability. But third, the authority. When you come to God in prayer and you talk to God about God, you know what happens? You realize you're not in charge. Did you know that? Let me just repeat that. You're not in charge. I'm not in charge. I've got this green liver that's sitting up here on the table. It was from Bible school. The green liver is a reminder for me to pray. I've been praying for this young man who's 
about the same age as my son. I've been praying for him to get better. My faith wasn't that he would just get the magic touch from the God and that it would all get better, but that God would actually give someone the kind of love that says, I'll give you a portion of my liver. And if you are a match, I would pray that you would be willing to do it. I've been seeking that for God, and I believe that in, in praying this way, that God was not only going to give this boy a new life, but he was also going to give him the new life in Christ. To not mess with only his liver, but to change his proverbial heart. Just like I pray for all of you, that God would change your hearts. I'm still praying. God is able to do it, I have no doubt. But the authority, I have to submit and say, wow, it's not my will, but thine. I even tried to give God a deadline. Do you remember, Rick? We were praying for their birthday, which was in May 21. It's a long time since May 21. Do I have the authority over God? Do you have authority over God? When you pray and talk to God about God, you recognize that you don't have the authority. He does. That's why when Jesus was able to say, all authority under heaven is given to me, where did he get it? You didn't grant it to him. He has it because he is God. And God the Father blessed Jesus that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That is because Jesus went to the cruel cross to pay for our sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, that he would pay the ransom for our sin. When you understand that he did all that, Philippians 2 explains it from Paul, that, it, that because he accomplished it, because he rose from the dead, he has been given a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus... The authority in Jesus is going to cause people to say, okay, I'm down. Not my will, but thine be done. And when you realize this, how beautiful it is, if you look there in John chapter 5, verses 25 or 26 to 28, in John chapter 5, just want to highlight a few of these verses for you to be able to see that the authority of Christ is so real. In John 5, there towards the end of the chapter there, verses 26 through 28. Make sure I get this right. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, in this particular passage, you can see the authority of the Son of Man. Beginning in verse 19, you can see even more of it, how he explains it. Truly, truly, I say to you that the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. And what other, whatever the Father does, then the Son will do likewise. Verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Now, the point I'm trying to make here is that when you start to understand and talk to God about God in prayer you're going to realize that he has the power and the authority. He can even say, Lazarus, come forth. And death can't hold him. Death cannot hold Lazarus back. Now, when you realize that we're praying to a God who is accessible, that we're praying to a God who is more than able, and we're praying to a God who, is, who has his own agenda, Wow, then it changes how you end up praying. And that's why I make this application for you guys. 
And when I was praying out loud and talking even with my wife and a few others, some of us got to the point of saying, well, do I pray the same thing that I would, was praying? Let's say some of you are praying that you would win the lottery. What a great prayer request. Why would you want to win the lottery? It's probably because it's an admission that you don't feel like you have enough money. So if you get in a little bit more money, then you'll probably be better off. And some of you would even justify it. If I won the lottery, then I put the money towards the church and we build our family life center. That would justify it all, right? Now, I've seen some people try to rationalize this, but when you go to prayer and say, God, please give me the winning numbers today, it's just a little bit hard. Some of you may have actually done it, and you might have thought you got a number because when, when you were reading it, the next thing is that you, you look at a piece of paper on the counter. Oh, it has five, six, and seven on it. That must be the winning number. That's how God talked to me. You see how you start to create a God of your own imagination. You think that you're hearing from God when you're not hearing from God. You see, because you're asking something wrongly. You're not asking according to his will. You're not praying in the spirit. And so what happens here is that when you start off praying to God, talking to God about God, you're going to find that you're going to be talking about how God is a spirit, infinite and eternal. And in his being are wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth. When you start talking to God about truth and justice, you're going to realize, hey, I can't talk about cheating and stealing. I can't start wishing for some other things. You know, just like what, what I often say is that when you're watching movies, you often fall into the trap of rooting for bad behavior because the director is trying to make you think that that's the best outcome. But when you are talking to God about a God who is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, when you're praying to the one who, who you're singing, worthy, you are worthy, or, or like we did as kids, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. You know, you could break into song with me on this because we know that God is great. But when we pray to him, we often pray like he's not. We pray as if he's weak. We pray like the people prayed on Mount Carmel. Maybe you haven't been to Mount Carmel. It's a beautiful hill overlooking the Jezreel Valley, the Valley of Armageddon. But the reason it's famous is because God answered Elijah's prayer on Mount Carmel. Elijah was up there praying, and there were 450 from the big church, the church of Baal. And they had fancier robes, and they had their pageantry, and they had all their vestments and their garments, and they even had knives and stuff like that. When they got up to pray, and, and, and the thing it was a battle of prayer, it was Elijah versus them. Who could pray the best? And how, how are they going to tell who prayed the best? The one who got an answer to prayer. It's a fun game, right? So Elijah is looking at them and he says, you go first. So the 450 people get out there to pray. And it's almost like the church of Jesus Christ these days. Everybody, let's pray. Amen. Oh, we're not done yet. We have three hours to pray. So you bow your head again and you pray a little longer. Amen. You look up. Oh, we're not done yet. You see, when you start praying like that, then, then you realize, oh, we're not winning. We, we didn't get the answer to prayer yet. And so the Baal priests, the guys who prayed according to Baal, the church of Baal, they said, oh, we need to wake up our God. The God that we identify as Baal, he, he must be on vacation or he might be in the bathroom. 
So how did they try to wake him up? Did they go, mm. no, they didn't do that. No, they were going to wake him up with noise. And they said, oh, Baal, oh, Baal. And they started to shout and scream, and they did all kinds of things. And then they thought, well, maybe he would wake up if, if he could smell blood. Maybe like animals smell blood. And so they took their knives and some of their vestments and they started to cut up and they started to, to, to do the dancing and the blood was coming forth and it was a mess and it was smelly and it was awful. And they, these people were at it not only for 10 minutes but for 20 minutes but for, for hours and it was like all day long. They were praying to a God that they thought could deliver because it was the God of weather. And they were just praying for rain. Elijah... He's praying to Yahweh. He's praying to our Father in heaven. And, Yah and Elijah just stood there the whole day. Just stood there the whole day. He just stood there the whole day and marveled at how diligent these people prayed to somebody who is not God. How sad it is when people pray to somebody that isn't God. And that's why I want to challenge you. When you pray, talk to our Father about our Father. Tell him about the things you've learned. If you've been reading in scripture, tell, sometimes you may not like God because he punishes the guilty. Sometimes you may not like God because he is gracious to people who are not deserving. I mean, talk to Jonah about it. Jonah was really angry with God. How dare you let those people in Nineveh off the hook? I knew you're a merciful God. I don't like that. But he was talking to God about God. We don't talk to God about God because we don't know him very well. Our theology is simplistic. We barely even know what the difference between the Father, Son, and Spirit is. We barely spend any time in trying to dive into the deeper details about how can God be three in one. And how can God not be the author of sin and yet still be holy, holy, holy when there's sin in the world. I can explain a lot of this for you, but when you come to prayer to a great God like that, I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you to spend more time talking to God about God than about other things. Okay, here's a quiz. How, how long does the Lord's Prayer take to pray? Listen, if you're a Southerner, you could probably stretch it out. Okay. So it's not an exact science. I did it on, a, on a, one of those recording things on my phone, and it was 24 seconds. I wasn't super fast, wasn't super slow. 24 seconds to pray the Lord's Prayer. Okay, pretty cool, right? Now, I can pray the Lord's Prayer in, in less than a half, you know, in less than um, a minute, 60 seconds. I did it in 24 seconds. So in this Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught as a sample, Jesus was teaching about prayer in it. How much of, the, how much of that prayer is about supplications? Two things. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, that's one of them. There's another one in there too. You know, help us with our neighbors. You know, they trespass against us. Can you imagine that? Yeah, Jesus said, hey, there's a couple things you should probably talk to your father about. But now, did, did, that was the S and the ACTS. Now, what about confession of sin? Did Jesus tell, teach the disciples to confess their sins? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or as Luke might say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yes, there's confession of sin. There's at least one line given to it. Now, of the 24 seconds, how many is one line given to it is probably just a tiny little fragment. 
you know, maybe five seconds. And if you have two given to your needs and, and your supplications, maybe that's 10 seconds. But do you realize what the rest of the prayer is all about? It's talking to God, the Father, about God. He is trying to teach his disciples that when you spend communion with God, you're actually going to be talking to the Father. You're going to be talking to the one who's in the throne room in heaven. The place that, you're going to, that he's going to have a place for you at. He, you're talking to the one who has a will, has an agenda. And guess what? It's not yours. Your will be done, not mine. Your will be done as it's done in heaven. But then he says, hallowed be my name. No, he doesn't say that. He says, hallowed be his name. When you're coming to God, you need to go through all of that stuff in your mind that spends more than half of the 24 seconds talking to God about God. When you get into that right position, guess what happens? When you start asking for the lottery money, when you start asking for a little bit of joint pain relief, or when you're asking God that the budget would be met, or when you're asking God that your hair would grow back. No, you don't need to pray for that. When you ask for these things that are temporal, when you're talking to an eternal God, why are you asking for some of these dumb things? Do you really think that God is going to give you these dumb things? That was a trick question. The answer is, God will give you what you need because he loves you. And I have no problem with you praying for your lottery tickets. I don't think the Heavenly Father is going to answer that prayer. But he might answer that prayer with giving you a better job. He might give you a raise in another place. Or if you go back to the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you might find a dollar on the side of the road to be able to buy that last golden ticket. Now you know what I'm talking about. We believe that God can provide all of his holy will. But my whole sermon, my whole preparation in all this is, hey, stop spending all your time in asking for something when you ought to be spending your time talking to God about our great God and his great salvation. I finish with this. In Revelation chapter 5, it's about the Lamb of God who was slain. My goodness, if Jesus loved you that much, if Jesus would leave his throne on high and his kingly crown and come to this earth for us, how much more will he do what needs to be done for you? Those of you that get that awful diagnosis from a, from a doctor, you hate it. In fact, we almost have a, a memory problem because when you go to the doctor and they talk, you only hear a third of it. And when you get home, you can only remember two words of the third that you heard. And if it wasn't for somebody else going with you, you wouldn't even know that the doctor talked to you. Because we're looking at this world and we're almost feeling like this is all there is, and it's not. Let me quote a couple scriptures as we wrap up in prayer. By faith, by faith you come to God. You must believe that God is, he's out there, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith. And that's why he says, for by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not of works, lest anyone would boast. It's not by your performance. It's not by you saying better prayers than somebody else. It's what God has done. James says it so well when he says, the father of lights is the giver of all these perfect gifts. But he says, you have not because you ask wrongly. 
How do you ask wrongly? When you pray without the Spirit. When you pray according to your own devices. Or if you don't even pray to God at all. You just say the words, which is what most people do at most prayer breakfasts or what they did at some of the football games or baseball games. Let's have a moment of silence. What do people do during a moment of silence? Nothing, but it's, it's considered prayer because when you finish with that moment of silence, then you say, thank you. Thank you for shutting up for a second. But really, what ought to be thanked is if you can take that request to our Father, who is great, who is the creator and sustainer, who is the one who went to the nth degree to save your soul. Will you pray? Our Heavenly Father, I'm addressing you as Father. You're the one who cares. You know that this sermon was not perfectly delivered. You know this sermon was either too long or too short. It was too loud or maybe it was too soft. Maybe it was too dramatic. Lord, you know that when people hear these things, it is so easy for us to miss the point. We're so easily distracted. We don't really look full in your wonderful face when we bring our petitions. We actually focus more on our petitions and saying it right so that we don't offend people. Lord, we want to look to you. We want this country to not be uh, under the spell of the evil one. We do not want evil to be promoted. We do not want the breaking of the sixth commandment with abortion to be not just safe, legal, and rare, but, but, but we don't want it to be so open that everybody's doing it, and this is normative. Lord, we, we want the people to see things as you see them. And even though the secular world may say, how dare you try to tell me and control me, Lord, I pray that they would recognize that they're not God, that they would meet the God that we're praying to, who is eternal, who is pure, who is lovely and just, or as the catechism says, you are the spirit. You are, you are in your being, we have wisdom and power and holiness and justice and truth. Lord, when we come to you with our petitions and the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, we pray that you will bring those things to pass in our lives. Use us. Be, help us to be your fingers and hands. And Lord, when we end up praying, offering up our desires to you, may they be more and more like your desires. And we pray that we'll get a yes from you in answered prayer. In Jesus' name.